0: But you're also strong and mighty to keep us, especially during this current age. And so, Father, as we open your word to study it, I pray again that you would teach us and instruct us. Before we start, I pray for our kids who are going to come up and bless us. That, Father, as the word is upon their lips this morning, I pray, Lord, that your word would be upon their lips throughout all of their lives. So we just lift up again our time together, that, God, you would reveal yourself to us, we ask in Jesus' name Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, glad you set your clock right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm thankful for that. Okay, we're having our young theologians this morning, and they're on their way, if they can get them herded up here. Just one? Oh, two. (laughs) That's all right. They're afraid of you people. Not Benjamin. Are you ready? All right. Is Ben standing alone or is he, are they going to come up with him? We're doing two age groups. Okay, let me get the mic. So we've got to be able to hear you guys good. Okay. What, what verse are you guys doing? Do you know? I know. What is it? God did not... Okay, wait, okay, okay. So we're just going to say I it. I know. That's okay. Okay, ready? When I say three, are you ready? One, two, three. God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight, eight people. Second Peter two, two five. All right. Okay. All right, everybody else. Are you doing computer Peter two five also? Okay. Okay, here. Why don't we have? Up, stand here. London, Luca, why don't you guys come stand next to the big guys? There you go. Hannah, why don't you stand right there in the middle? Okay, are we ready? Yep. Okay, when I say three, ready? One, two, three. And God did not spare the ancient world, but say no. People, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the blood on the world of the ungodly. Second Peter two five. All right. Very good guys. Since they stuck ribbon up here, I assume today's uh prize is a blue ribbon for their for their memorization. What a blessing. Continue to pray for them. We have them up here so that you know that your kids aren't just being babysat, but they're being taught and trained for the work of ministry. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 25, just because Paul said 24. No, go ahead and turn to Psalm 24. And again, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you. If there is not one in front of you, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Is there anybody here who needs a Bible? Just raise your hands. There's one right there. Psalm 24. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, the titles are part of the inspired Word of God, and the title of Psalm 24 is a Psalm of David. It reads, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor swarmed deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, say Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Father, once again, as we open up your word, especially this section of Scripture, pray father that well based upon your crucifixion based upon your resurrection that father we would have a surety of your ascension not so much into heaven although definitely but so much more so into our lives into our hearts and so father just bless us teach us and instruct us in this place that you would be glorified through our lives we ask in jesus name amen go ahead and be seated We're currently looking at what I've entitled the Psalms of the Cross, an Easter primer. The Psalms that we are looking at are chapters 22, 23, and 24. We've looked at the 22 and 23 previously, obviously. Each of these are tied together progressively as they relate to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 22, we saw our dying Lord as he was upon the cross and We got a little background information on the crucifixion of Christ as he was having that conversation with his father, that conversation which is spoken of in the Gospels, but given to us in detail in Psalm 22, even hundreds of years before crucifixion even existed. We looked at it as a private time between a son and his father. Last week in Psalm 23, we saw our risen Lord, a picture of our risen shepherd, He who was killed but now is alive. We saw in the very first verse, Psalm 23, verse 1, again a psalm of David, and David was a former shepherd. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When he says the term Lord, again pointed out that it was all in caps. When you see the word Lord in caps, it refers to Yahweh, the God who is, who was introduced to us in Exodus chapter 3. And so in essence, what David is saying here is is the God who exists, the God who created all that was created, God who moves in our lives, the God who forgives sins and gives us eternal life, that God, David is saying, is my shepherd. And, And as God is my shepherd, regardless of what goes on in life, regardless of what goes on in the world, he says, I shall not want. I'll never be lacking. I'll never left wanting. And so... David, that's how, for instance, when Absalom rebelled against him and David had to flee his kingdom, he was just open to God. If this is the will of the Lord, then so be it. Again, the Lord's his shepherd. And if the Lord led him into the throne, well, it's the same Lord that could lead him out. And as far as David was concerned, that's okay. And so if the Lord is truly your shepherd, whatever goes on, it may be hard, it may be difficult, and we're all going to experience difficulty but as long as the Lord is our shepherd, it's okay. And, and not just the Lord, but the God who, who truly is. The God who created us, the God who recreated us, is the same God who is able to keep us. The one who is our shepherd possesses all the might, power, and glory of God for His purposes in us. And now today we arrive at the third of our trilogy, Psalm 24, and we're going to see the crucified shepherd who has ascended to the place of power and authority? G. Campbell said, the One who has passed through Psalm 22 is exercising the office of Psalm 23 and is seen claiming the authority of Psalm 24 within our lives. Now, the Jewish tradition, or it was a Jewish tradition, that Psalm 24, it would be used in worship on the first day of every week within the temple. And the Jewish calendar Sunday would be the first day of the week. And so from that perspective, it's very possible we're getting ready to celebrate Palm Sunday as we're entering in to the crucifixion season. It's very possible that this Psalm was read as the Lord rode his donkey into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry as the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, as they were singing that in the streets, it's very possible that the priests within the the temple were proclaiming in Psalm 24, verses 9 through 10, lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory, Selah. So as they were proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, or save now, save now, the priests were in there, well, open up your hearts. Open up your hearts, and the king of glory is going to come in. But the problem is, they had an improper perspective, not only of Messiah, but what Messiah was going to accomplish, as we well know, the Jews of the day, they were wanting to expel Rome and have their kingdom restored back to the grandeur of, of, of King David in Solomon's day. But that's not what Christ was there for. He was there for to establish a heavenly kingdom. And so not only did they not lift up their heads and open their hearts, they closed them, and a couple of days later, both priests and people will be shouting out, crucify Him, crucify Him. Now we must understand the perspective of this psalm because when I speak of ascension I'm not speaking of the Lord ascending to heaven. We pretty much talked about that last week. He did ascend to heaven, don't get me wrong. The point that is being made here is the place of ascension where the Lord ascended and dwelt within sight of his people. That he's ascended to that place, not that I'm higher than he But as far as the high place in my life, he has now made it a clean place. That place that I used to worship myself, my thoughts and my feelings, now he has made it a place that is worthy of worshiping him. As he has ascended, he has ascended into our lives. So there's a couple of different places that his ascension is being talked about. A couple of different places that this psalm is attached to. The first one is is in 2 Samuel. The tabernacle, now to the Jewish mind, the tabernacle. The tabernacle is pre-temple, if you don't know. That's the dwelling place of God before the temple was established. Well, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, is not in Jerusalem. David realizes this, and he determines to bring the tabernacle, at least the Ark of the Covenant, into the city. In Second Samuel, we see that occurring, verses 16 through 19, it says, "Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, my call, Saul's daughter, yes, yeah, Saul's daughter, not Saul's daughter, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and twirling before the Lord, and she despised him in his heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it." Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed amongst all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins, so that all the people departed, everyone to his house. So it was a time of rejoicing in the goodness of God. David David's the king and the king would need to have a certain element of lost the word I was thinking but just respect the people would to be dignified to be dignified. But David, here's God coming in to dwell amongst His people. And really what you see here is is a fulfillment of what He wrote in Psalm 24. He's opening the gates, opening the gates of the city, but just as important, He's opening the gates of His heart that the Lord would come in because and they're knowing that God is now going to dwell amongst His people. And so there are those who believe, and I really do believe that, that David is reading about that occurrence God entered Jerusalem. There's others, and I believe it has a fulfillment of prophecy, actually, in a couple of ways, but even more so, again, in that event that we're going to be celebrating here pretty soon, Palm Sunday, the Lord's triumphal entry in Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 through 11. It says So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude says, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So once again, they're excited. They're opening up the gates, if you will, in their hearts. But unfortunately, there's a misunderstanding because the only way that you can truly open your heart before God to receive Him in is based upon his truth. Many people, if you will, have opened their heart to Jesus from the perspective they believe that he was somebody wise. From the perspective they believe that he was a prophet, but not based upon the truth of who it was and this is where israel fell short and then there was the day that he ascended into your heart the day that you opened those gates that you had kept them out and allowed him to enter in paul said i've been galatians chapter 2 verse 20 i have been crucified with christ how did he open the gates because the flesh is what kept them out but it was the day that i died It was the day that I died to myself, that I heard the word of God and I realized that I was completely ruined before a holy God. I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. He's no longer directing the affairs of his life, but he says, it's Christ who dwells within me. He's understanding that He's been bought with the price, and Christ has ascended to the place of the throne of His life, that which He would protect and He would guard with all diligence. Now He was open so that the Lord would come in and possess it. And crucified with Christ, it is no longer I live, but Christ who lives within me. And this life I live in the flesh, nobody's going to live a perfect life, but He does live in faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave His life for me. And so that's the perspective of what we're going to look at Psalm 24, because the crucifixion of Christ needs to have impact in our life if it was truly the Son of God who died upon the cross. It was tr- if it was truly the Son of God who was resurrected from the dead, there's going to be impact in our life, and so in Psalm 24, we see the impact that is truly made within our lives. So first of all, who is it? Who is it that is Christ who dwells inside of us? Verse 1, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell within. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. This Lord, the Lord who has ascended to in our lives, the Lord who watches over you, who keeps you and cares for you, is the Lord who is the creator of the cosmos. He's the one who's the creator of all that we see. I was sitting on my couch last night. It was dark. We had yet to shut the curtains. The curtains look east from, from my couch out in that area, and you saw this big ball of light up in the sky. Did you see the sun last night? It was just so big, and it was so bright. And I'm just looking at it and thinking, it's just amazing to see that thing just hanging there in the sky. We kind of forget that that's what we're doing as well. But I'm seeing it, it's just there, and it's illuminated, and how it's reflecting this light and how far away it is, and just the detail of it and all, and how we can look at stuff like that and just so take it for granted. Looking off to the side and seeing the stars as much as we can see the stars in in our area, and just realizing the magnitude, in which we're able to, of God's creation. And what it took to speak those things into existence, it's just an amazing thing. We've been praying on our prayer chain, and we prayed a few times on Thursday night for a young girl. Her name's Lexi. She does not go to our church, but she is a believer. She is part of the church. A young girl, I believe she goes to Chino High. Is that what it is? Chino Hills High? Okay. Um, She had a heart transplant. And it's just an amazing thing that you can take a heart out of somebody and put it into somebody else. But God just, he just gives us these gifts, the gift of life and the gift to be able to maintain life and these things that we have to understand. Well, it seems as if David is understanding these things. Keep in mind, we looked at it last week, that the one who would take the sheep up to the high ground during the spring and summer months was usually the lowest on the totem pole. That's why David would do it. He was the youngest of his brothers. But as he was sitting there on that mountain, I can just imagine at night, he'd probably stay awake for the greater part of the night to protect the sheep from the from the wildlife that was there, just staring off into the sky, just staring off into outer space. I mean, have you ever done that? Again, you can't do it here there's too much light, but I was up in the Sierras a while ago, and at night just looking, and you can just see the layers and the layers and the layers of stars. You can see the shooting stars. You can see, I guess, Venus and Mars. And I, I, can't, I, don't, you know, I just see a bright light in the sky, and I just know what I'm told. But nonetheless, it's just amazing the magnitude of all of that. And so again, if the Lord is truly the creator of the cosmos, there must be biblical precedents to be able to back that up. Well, we see in Genesis chapter one, verse one, and there is many. We're not going to go into all of them, but it says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." Well, then the apostle John wants to sow Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and so he uses that in John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning. In the beginning, Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth, John says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now we know that he's using that to describe Jesus Christ. We see the Word in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be life, God said, and God said, and God said. And, God said. and Jesus Christ, through His Word, continues to not only create, but recreate mankind as the gospel goes out. The earth is the Lord because He created it, and He bled for it. He died for it so that it would be cleansed. We are the Lord's in that He created us, and He purchased us with His death upon the cross. And so again, going back to Psalm 22, He paid the price. Psalm 23, the price that He paid is validated. And Psalm 24, we receive of what Christ has done for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 for by Him, by Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. Constant concept that goes throughout the Scriptures. Verse two in Psalm twenty-four: For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. It's important that there's got to be this constant thread throughout the Scriptures as we have the authors of the Scriptures writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit will keep a constant flow of the truth of the Word of God when they refer back to the Word of God. And so as David is speaking of creation, he, for whatever reason, based upon the Holy Spirit, again, verse 2, he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Now, I really believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking through King David when he wrote this. But how does the Holy Spirit speak through man? It's through Sean Turin. I don't want to use the pulpit mic. Okay. Now I forgot what I was saying. There's going to be that harmony and there's going to be that constant thread throughout the scriptures. And so, again, I'll read it one more time because I was rudely interrupted. In Psalm 24, verse 2, For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Well, King David's Bible is your Bible. The same Bible that you have upon your lap, or at least the word, is the same word that David used as his word of God. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, it says, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and gathered together, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And so again, David is gathering together from the word as he's given us this example of God's creation. The Holy Spirit is working, but how does the Holy Spirit work in and through our lives? Is through the word of God. And so as he's working through King David's life, he uses the word of God. And so who is the Christ in you? Well, we see he's creator of the cosmos. Who are you who Christ has come to? Well, it's important to understand that. Look at verse 3 who may ascend into the hill of the lord or who may stand in his holy place jesus has gone to prepare a jesus has gone to prepare a place for those who have prepared a place for him a god such as our god would be truly unapproachable to common man again if god is truly god if god is truly holy and man is truly sinful how could we possibly ascend into the place where it is that he dwells well so what would be God's requirements for a place or a life that is prepared for him well how how would man be able to do these things and what would be the outward expression of these things Well, again, the lists that we see in the Bible are not meant to be all-inclusive. These things are written for our our understanding. Verse 4, we see the qualifications. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, who is worthy of a shepherd such as this, we have the qualifications listed here. He who has clean hands, a pure heart, who is not an idolater, and who is not a deceiver. So it's important to understand. It's important to know what these things mean. First thing, David, speaking of what is necessary, do you have clean hands? Clean hands? Well, your hands are a picture, biblically speaking, of your works. Are your works something that is acceptable to God? Well, we're told that all of our works are as filthy rags. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. But that being the case, there had to be a change. There had to be somebody that came in, if you will, and cleaned things up. And so our works, our works as we come to church and prepare to serve him. It's as we desire to be used in our communities and even in our families. Apart from God, it's an unclean thing. Why? Because it's just simply human effort. And what does human effort produce? I was doing a little bit of work around the church on um, on Friday. We were changing some ceiling tiles out, and was up in the attic, and it was pretty hot. And you pull the things, the old ones, down, and the dust falls on you, and... It's hot. It's been hot lately. I didn't turn the air on because I didn't want to suck all the dust up into the air conditioner and throw it all over the place. And you start sweating and you start stinking. And it's just, a, you know, go home and why? Like, Hi. I go, don't even touch me. I got to take a shower first. And, you know, we spend time, we're, we're of the flesh. So we get up in the morning. And what's the, one of the first things you need to do is to brush your teeth. Why? Because you got this bacteria in your mouth and it's causing, really, you got that morning breath. And then you jump in a shower, at least I hope you did, and you, 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 scr- you scrub and, and you clean because you got the flesh and the flesh is dying and the flesh is rotting and you just don't want that stench about you. Well, that, that's just a physical description, but there's the spiritual description as well because we're just as unclean before God. And instead of scrubbing and cleaning because it would never get cleaned up by our own efforts, we have the righteousness of Christ that has been placed upon us. It's as if you were out working on your car and you got your shirt all dirty and grungy and you're going out that night. You take it off and you put on something nice and new. And that's what Christ has done. He's taken off the rags of our our, our filthy works and he's put it on that which is nice and new. Now as we minister, as we seek to do the will of God, we we do so through the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit. And so this is someone who practices an outward holiness. Not just practice, but it's a common occurrence within their lives. One whose hands or works are acceptable before God by the works of God. The fruit of a Christian life, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him practices righteousness, works at a condition that is acceptable to him. I must be born again. That's the only way to be acceptable before God. But again, there's still something else missing, and it's the Holy Spirit. I I need the Holy Spirit who works through me so that the things that I do would not be according to my ability, but the supernatural ability of God. Now, the Bible speaks of three occurrences of the Holy Spirit, three ways in which the Holy Spirit works in the lives of men and women. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Before you were saved, before you were born again, didn't the Holy Spirit do that? How did he do it? It was through somebody who shared the gospel with you. He convicted you of sin. You came to the understanding that you're a sinner. All of the world, biggest atheist and any cultist, whoever, they all know that they're sinners. How do I know that they know that they're sinners? Because we're told in the Bible that. The world is convicted by sin, righteousness, and judgment. So they know that there are sinners, whether they want to admit it or not. Sin, righteousness. Righteousness because all the world knows that there is a God. They may not know God, but they know the existence of God, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Judgment, they know one day they're going to have to stand before a holy God. If they do not understand anything else concerning judgment, they know that the day of their death is going to come. Because sin entered in, death has entered in. You, as a born-again believer, you'll physically die, but you will spiritually live forever. And when I say spiritually, that's even greater than just some spiritual being. You will physically exist for all of eternity. This is in John chapter 16. And then there's a day that you're saved. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. That's the, the promise of God, the engagement ring, if you will, the promise that you can look at that engagement ring and know that you are sealed for that day, That you will be with Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that works inside of you. No longer are you able to freely sin any longer. You're now convicted daily if you continue to live that life, and your life starts changing. It's not just so much you who's doing this, but again, it's the work of the Holy Spirit through you. And then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. As I said so many times, whatever it is that fills you controls you. If you're filled with love, you are controlled by love. If you're filled with anger, you're controlled with anger. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are controlled by God. And so these things happen. These things happen for the purpose that our works would be clean before a holy God. I must be born again. I must be under the influence of God, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, keeping in mind that the Holy Spirit is not the power of God, but the Holy Spirit is God who will empower you looking at it from a negative standpoint in Matthew 27, verses 24 through 25, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it, speaking of the crucifixion. And all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and our children. Three times Jesus was declared innocent, and now Pilate thinks that he can be declared innocent of the blood of Jesus simply by washing his hands. Well, his problem is, see, our hands as born-again believers, our hands have been washed, if you will, by the word of God. We're, We're seen clean. Our works are seen clean because, again, the word of God but his, well, we've got this picture of watering, and he's washing in that water, but the problem is he's washing with the water, or the wisdom, if you will, of the world, and that's not going to cleanse his hands, and the same thing with the Jews, they're, they're stained with this blood, and can you imagine, have you ever, i never seen, but you know, just even a little cut, little cut is something, you know, when you see blood flowing, there's just something that strikes your heart, and you know, if you see a, a, a great quantity of blood i was on a job site when i was an electrician and somebody cut themselves pretty seriously and i remember there was a pretty big puddle of blood and when you see it it just kind of makes you queasy and there's something disgusting about human blood and it's supposed to be because it's unclean in the sight of god it's only by the blood of jesus that our sins have been washed clean so those who are in christ and christ is in them their works must be made clean by him Secondly, what does it mean to have a pure heart? Well, we can kind of fake the works. I've seen people do it, and I've seen people do it quite effectively. But as far as our heart, our heart is transparent before a holy God. I cannot hide that from him. My heart is open before him, and not only do I know it, but he knows it as well. There's that thing, that, that mindset that we tried to hide, that we tried to mask, but when your heart is wide open before God, there's that shame, apart from Christ, there's that shame and there's that need to hide. Look at Adam and Eve hiding in the trees. Look at Adam and Eve trying to cover their shame with the fig leaves. And so they understood that God was looking right through him. He saw the sin that has stained their lives. Those who have a pure heart have no selfish, ulterior, or worldly motives. The best example of the contrast is probably between Barnabas and Ananias. There's Barnabas, son of encouragement. He was a man who was probably building his own kingdom and doing quite well at it, owned some property. But the thing is, he gets saved. And he's got this pure heart before the Lord. He sees this great thing that God is doing. And what he does is he sells his land and he, he gives it. And he probably, well, you know how people talk. And probably people within the did you see what Barnabas did? He, he sold his property and he, he gave it to the church. And you know, that, that was quite a bit of property. It was kind of an amazing thing to do. Not that Barnabas was trying to seek the praise of people, but I think this man Ananias heard about it ananias had great riches as well but he doesn't have such a pure heart barnabas did it because god saved him and this was a man after god's heart but ananias well he talked to his wife and says you know what we can sell ours too and we'll give it to the church but we'll just give some of it to the church but we'll tell the church we're giving it all and they'll see us as something else as well they're trying to build themselves up, but they're doing it at the expense of their walk with God in that they're lying to God. It's, they're described as lying to the Holy Spirit. And so you've got Barnabas, again, this man who God has caused his heart to be pure, and he has pure motives in the things that he does. And you've got Ananias, who doesn't have such a pure heart before God, and he's trying to get the glory that is due only God. Now, he didn't have to do that, but you see the ulterior motive that he had in doing that. He didn't have to sell his land. He could have just given a portion of the price of the land but he sought the glory for himself. His heart was not pure in the matter. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And how does God deal with our heart? He doesn't fix it. He doesn't change it. He implants a new heart within our hearts. The old one, it was desperately wicked. It was very deceptive. You know, if you kind of lead your life according to your own understanding, if you lead your life according to your own heart, we're not talking about the thing that beats in your chest, but the inner person, it deceives you because it guides you according to your senses, according to your desires. I want to be guided, I want to be led according to the desires of God. Thirdly, what does it mean to not lift our souls to an idol? It's to not give yourself or your service and dedication that is due to God to someone or to something that is not God. And you see people to the magnitude of which man should be praising and worshiping and serving God, man does this in so many other arenas, in so many other areas. We'll do it for sports team, we'll give our lives to our favorite sports team, we'll give our lives to some kind of pleasurable action or motives or whatever it might be and we give these things so freely to that which does nothing for us these things are due to god In luke chapter 16 verse 13 no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other you can't serve god and mammon you can't serve god and that which is opposed to god We, the church, we are to give our hearts to the one who first gave of himself to us. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? I've got to make sure that I am doing the things that I know that God has called me to do. That's why we study the word of God, so that we would know and understand what the commandments of the Lord are. And if Jesus Christ is truly your Lord, that you would give of yourself in your service to him. And so what each person here needs to do, you need to look at the magnitude of your life. You need to examine your life throughout a week's time at least. Take that bite. And and what portion of that week do you give to the one who's given you everything? And we've got to understand that. We've got to know that. I still need to raise my family. I still need to go out and work a job. There's no doubt about that. But is Christ upon your mind? Do you take time to pray and to seek him out? Do you fast? Do you, do you just have that desire and that passion for the Lord and what God has called you to do? We need to examine our lives and find the areas that we're lacking because we are all lacking. This is a constant thing that we need to do. We've got to take constant inventory of our lives to understand that I'm following hard after him, that if I was to stand before Jesus Christ, he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Would he say that if you stood before the Lord today? Again, that's just something that you need to examine yourself. Fourthly, what does it mean to not swear deceitfully? Well, who do you say that you are? If somebody would ask you, are you a Christian? And do you hazardly say so? So many people do. It's very common for people to say that, especially that live in this country, that we're Christians, we're a Christian nation. But you cannot find one place in here that tells you that you must be a Christian. There's not one place in it. people are called Christians, but nowhere does the Bible say you need to become a Christian. Nowhere does it say you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. These are terminologies that we have added. Jesus said, you must be born again. And so again, once again, are you born again? Is there that day that your life changed? Because to be born again is an instantaneous change in your life that you can look at the old life and you can see the new life. We're told here to not swear deceitfully. Are you doing that before God by taking his name in vain, by taking Christ upon you, but there's never really been any change in your life. Again, we're so we're so good in this country because we're so comfortable about playing the Christian game or the church game or whatever, but Jesus is going to stand there and he's going to expect you on that day of judgment, are you born again? And it's then that, again, you're going to realize the transparency of your life. You put on a pretty good facade at the church. I fooled everybody there. I fooled the pastor. Or maybe the pastor fooled you, and he's not born again. But these are things that we must consider, that we've got to know the depths of our being, because your eternal life, it depends upon it if you just walked down an aisle, if you just raised a hand, if you just came to Christ in the sight of God, that doesn't mean anything unless you did it from a heart that desired Jesus Christ and desired change in your life and you became born again. If you just went through the outward, the, the, the outward works, the outward emotion and all that, we already talked about clean hands. We already talked about works. Were they clean works? Were they acceptable before God? Again, giving your heart to Jesus surrender your life to Jesus that's what he wants that's what he commands that's what he demands have you surrendered your life to Christ or he's still holding on to parts this little part I'm holding on to my for myself I'm keeping Christ out of that I'll I'll give him this part I'll give him the church or you know I signed up for this ministry or that ministry he wants the whole thing that's why he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to be a new creation in Christ. If any man in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so I'm just saying this to you because as you're sitting in church week after week after week, we've got to determine these things. We've got to know these things. We've got to understand these things. It's essential for our salvation Now we know that the only way that these things can be accomplished is by the right relationship with the Lord and through a filling of the Holy Spirit. So verse 5. He shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation, he being the one who is spoken of in verses 3 and 4. This is the type of person whom when entering the throne room of God will not receive judgment but unmerited favor from the Lord to be in his flock or grace from God really what is being mentioned here in verse 5, for he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of our salvation. It's the doctrine of justification. What's the doctrine of justification? Well, kind of an easy term, to be seen just as if you have never sinned again. You all have sinned. We have all sinned. But God chooses for those who are his, who have come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, have surrendered their lives to Christ, who are born again, God chooses supernatural act of God to see that person just as if he has never sinned. Now, there's two things here that we have to look at. As far as those who are justified, they shall receive blessing from the Lord. And we can go off into some very weird directions here as far as what a blessing means. We can think that a blessing means wealth. We can think that a blessing here means health, but that's not within the context as I look at the totality of the scriptures Turn over to the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers chapter 6, and you'll see what a blessing from the Lord is. It's spelled out in the word of God. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. If you read the devotions, I wrote a devotion about it, I believe it was this past week. So if you're truly justified, if you're truly born again, you will have received blessings from the Lord. Here's the description of the blessing. Verse 22, Numbers chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron. Aaron would be the high priest. His sons would be the serving priests under him. Saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Verse 27, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the way they're blessed. May the Lord, he's speaking of the Father here, bless you and keep you. You've been kept to the day that you Enter into God's kingdom. A blessing from the Lord is how He spiritually keeps us. I shouldn't say spiritually because that's how He keeps the totality of who we are. He keeps us until the day that He calls us home. Those who are the Lord's, the Lord will not lose any. Verse 25, the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Where has the Lord's face shone upon us? Well, Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that Christ has dwelt inside of us, and it says he'll be gracious. Where was the grace of God best displayed to mankind? It was upon the cross of Christ. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It speaks of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and so I may not have riches, but I'm still blessed. I may not have good health, but I'm still blessed. I may not have everything that I want, but I'm still blessed because God thinks of me, God provides for me, and God cares for me every day of my life. And as he does that, that one day when he's going to bring me unto himself, King David is understanding the magnitude of these things. So the first thing that we see when David is we have this Old Testament. I'm back in Psalm 24. David's description of the doctrine of justification is the blessings that are from the Lord, and he describes them in detail. And then secondly, you receive righteousness. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that we have that pure linen that has been placed upon us i talked about it a little bit earlier and so i've got blessings from god and that God is with me and God's grace shines upon me just as surely as that moon was illuminated because it was reflecting the glory of the sun, um, reflecting the glory of Christ. As you see these little things that are at work in your lives, you know that this is of the Lord, that Christ dwells inside of me. Righteousness, once again, that my works are pure before the Lord based upon the Lord dwelling inside of me. Verse 6. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Jacob, I think the reason he uses Jacob there is because Jacob was such a conniver in the past, but he wrestled with God and God prevailed. And now Jacob, who was so trying to work everything out and manipulate every situation and circumstance, is now governed by God. And then notice the word Selah there. If you read through the Psalms, Selah is mentioned quite a few times. Keep in mind, the Psalms are God's songbook. And Selah is entered when, they want, when, the, when the author wants you to contemplate what has been said previous. Selah is actually a musical interlude for the purpose of contemplation. So if this song is being played as a song, that there would be a musical interlude, and those who are singing or reading or hearing would stop and just go back and consider what has been said. Verses 7 through 10, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. The Lord, who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. And so again, if you're using the picture of the ark coming into the tabernacle or Christ coming into Jerusalem or the Lord into your life, you had to open the gates. You had to open the gates of belief. And you had to see him come in. There had to be that visual reality of Christ within your life. That's what we must consider today. We've arrived at this section of scripture. I prayed, I don't believe that I've manipulated anything to teach Psalm 24. God's brought you to this church. He got you out of bed an hour earlier, whether you understood it or not. But you're here and there's reason and purpose for all this. It's all God's word and it's the working of the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you, just as I encourage myself, I've got to look at and I've got to evaluate my life as well. And so, what happens when you open the gates? We're told here the Lord of glory will come in. He'll make your hands as white as snow. He'll, he'll make your, your works something clean in His sight. He'll give you that new heart. Again, not just repair the old one, but completely that new heart. He'll be the Lord of your life, the one who directs your thoughts and your actions. He'll drive a love of others to be a higher priority than the fruitless love of yourself. He'll do great things. We're told in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, the Lord says, Behold, check this out, pay attention. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Father, I just pray that we would grasp, to, grasp onto your words. Father, we see the faith of our children, our children who understand the importance of the word of God to the degree that they're able. And, and there was even one of them. I asked, Lord, if he was going to come up here and do it. And he said, no, he was too afraid. But Father, you allowed him to get over himself and he was up there just yelling out with the rest of them. Father, I pray that we would have that faith. Father, I pray that we would have that obedience Lord, as I'm speaking to believers today, I just pray, God, that you would make the calling and election of this church and the people of this church sure that there would be no doubt. And I pray as you do, Father, your church would glorify who you are. Lord, I thank you, Father, for this series, this series upon of the cross this primer that we're having as we're entering into the, this most holy season i pray father that we would consider the things that are said that our faith would be strengthened and father we would be motivated to your work so father i pray that we would be a church that would forever glorify you that you would bless us for well because we've come but lord also because we're obedient and so father i just pray for those who've come out today that you would go before them in their lives that you would use them this coming week we ask in jesus name